You are listening. You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. Ladies Who Lead. That felt so funny to say. Today on the Ladies Who Lead podcast. I like to say I, I'm proud to be an advocate for persons with disabilities because so many people with disabilities don't have the ability to advocate for themselves. Welcome to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. My name is Alison Moratis, and I'm your host for today's episode. Ladies Who Lead is a network of dynamic, professional women empowered through support, inspiration, and mentoring. And this podcast is built upon our four foundational pillars, building business, building self, building relationships, and building community. Today's guest is Ladies Who Lead member Linda Hunt. Linda Hunt and her husband Greg founded Grelin Apparel Graphics over 30 years ago. They make good companies look great by supplying them with quality and attractive corporate apparel and also promotional products. Linda is also an award-winning accessibility consultant, speaker, and author. She is the CEO of Accessibility Solutions. So welcome, Linda. We should probably get started. Okay, and thank you so much for uh, having me, Allison. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because it looks like you wear a couple of hats, well, probably more than one like most of us. So I want to um, just basically have everyone learn a little bit about Growling Apparel first. So Growlin Apparel Graphics, um, as you said in the introduction, we supply corporate apparel and promotional products to small businesses and uh, organizations, festivals, events, sports teams, leagues, all of that kind of stuff throughout uh, southwestern Ontario. We have our own production facility. We're located at 51 Woodyacht Drive in Brantford, which is right behind the Linden Park Mall. Yeah, we just, like I said, our, our motto is we make good companies look great and uh, have been doing so for, it'll be 31 years next month, actually. Wow, congratulations. That's So a Brantford company right from the beginning? Yes, we have been, um, we actually started in St. George in 1990, but we opened our Brantford location, uh, our first Brantford location in 1996 and moved to our current location in 2001. So we have now been at our current location for 20 years. Wow, great. Now, how did you arrive at this business? How did you get into this apparel business? So my husband, Greg, has been a screen printer for 43 years. So we're aging him a little bit. He spent 12 years as the production manager for another screen printing company. And uh, we made the decision to go out on our own or for him to go out on his own. And, and 31 years ago, I had a full-time job, but my education is uh, business administration. So I'm kind of the, you know, the business technical stuff is all him. But, uh, you know, when it comes to business and the administration side of things, that's all me. And that works out very well for Anybody that's in business with their spouse, you know, I always say keep in your own lane. And uh, that's uh, something that's uh, worked out well. He's the, he's the production, the technical guy. And then I'm the one that says I do everything but print the, the stuff. So the sales, the marketing, all the administration, that's all my 
wheelhouse, so to speak. Now, I wanted to ask that question because I think you hear mixed message about working with your partner. Some people say absolutely not. Um, and other people say it's the best decision we ever made. I'm assuming your option B there. Um, was it uh, difficult to make that decision to go into business together? No. Um, and, and as I said, so my education was business administration. So I was the one that did the business plan and, and uh, you know, kind of got the upfront financing. I did all of that, whereas he was the one that set up the production facility because that's you know, his, his side of things. And at the time, I held down a full-time job. At that time, we didn't even have any kids. Since then, we've had, we've had two. But um, going into business together, as I said, stay in your own lo- lane. So I think it's important to recognize probably for anybody that's in business with their spouse is to really rely on who's got what strengths. And um, so I would never imagine telling him how to do anything production related because that's, that's his strength. He's the screen printer. Um, Whereas uh, he probably would, his eyes would glaze over looking at a financial statement. So it's, uh, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's, it's worked out very well for over 30 years because we do, um, we do both have uh, different, different strengths and bring different um, things to the table. And, uh, and you sound like you respect each other in terms of each other's uh, knowledge and expertise and roles. We do. So, Linda, I have one more question about working with your partner, because I think, like I said, a lot of people um, may have been thinking about opportunities to do so, especially with the pandemic and being at home. Um, What do you do to um, have your own time and separate um, business and personal with your partner? Because I think that's something a lot of people say, I couldn't work with my partner all day and be with them all evening and weekends and all of those kind of things. Do you have any uh, advice to give people who are working with or considering working with their partner? Well, for um, probably the first 20 years, I had a full-time job. So I did um, all of my kind of paperwork stuff uh, in the evenings and on weekends. My uh, situation changed about 10 years ago. So I gave up my full-time job. So now I do work full-time, but I work from a home office. So one of the the benefits of our partnership is that we've never really, um, I mean, we communicate a lot during the day, especially on orders and and that type of thing. But um, we, in 31 years, probably there was only maybe a three to five year period where we were actually working um, together um, all day and then having to come home. And that was probably, and I, I will really admit that that was probably the toughest time because you're working all day together and then you're coming home. And at that point we did have young children and, you know, so, but I, I think probably my best advice is that you, you know, you, you kind of turn it off, you leave it at the door and, you know, certainly if you've got young children and they're in sports and they've got activities and whatever, I mean, you, you know, at some point you've, you know, you've got to switch gears because, you know, you come home and now you're mom and dad or your husband and wife. And, and, uh, so that's, that's probably the, the best advice that I could, I could give. So there was probably about a five year period 
um, actually right after my daughter was born in the late 90s, where my office was located at our, at our, at our production facility. But in uh, 2003, so there was about, so we'll say six years, but in 2003, I actually went, uh, went back to work again full time. Did you know looked after my part of the business? Um, you know, like I said, evenings and weekends and that uh, that type of thing. So, yeah, that's that's probably the the best advice I can give is make sure that you can leave work at the door. Just as just really honestly as you should. It doesn't matter if you're in business for yourself or working for someone else. You know, you you come home and you have your now your mom and dad or your husband and wife or your whatever. So switch to those responsibilities. So, and you were working from home before lots of people were working from home. So you've learned how to detach that, which is, is great. Cause I think a lot of people have been kind of introduced to that concept with the pandemic. Yeah. I've been working from home um, since. Uh, so I uh, officially retired from full-time work. Um, in 2009. So I've been working from home since then. And then um, actually in 2010 was when I started my consulting practice, which is more on the side of kind of my other professional hat that I wear. So um, yeah. And I want to dive into that, well, for a couple of reasons. So first of all, you've said you worked many years in a job and then helped Greg run the business. And then you now work in the business and have your consulting. You're pretty used to having a lot of stuff on the go. I, I am. I am. So um, before I stopped, uh, and I and I always commuted too. So before I stopped working in 2009, I was actually executive director of a national health charity. So and did the commute in every day into the GTA. So in terms of wearing the hats, that was a that in itself was a pretty high profile role and certainly very busy and not necessarily a nine to five job either. So I've always been able to kind of manage. Um, and to be honest, you know, back then, you know, we had some administration staff at Grellin as well. So it was, you know, I was more the, the financial side of things since I re- since I retired in 2009 and started working from home. I've, you know, I've taken on a lot more administrative roles that I that I didn't do when I was working full time. But the financial side of things, I've always looked after. Right, and I want to learn a little bit more about um, your accessibility work. I mean, obviously, that's been a passion for of yours for many years, and now you're translating it into some consultancy, being self employed in that field. So, tell us a little bit about um, that journey. Yeah, so I started Accessibility Solutions in 2010 um, as an accessibility consultant, primarily because the reason that I did stop working full-time is that I myself am in a wheelchair. Um, And that was around the point where the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act was about to roll out for businesses throughout the province. So uh, every business in the province of Ontario must be compliant with the AODA. So I started out doing a lot of AODA compliance um, and also training. Even that business has pivoted a lot more now to modifications, um, both residential and commercial, 
so I do everything from uh, going in and doing an assessment of this is what you need to make your business accessible and uh, all the way through to um, project management where somebody says, okay, if that's what we need to do, then, you know, I'm going to give you the project. And, and uh, obviously I'm not the one doing the accessibility modifications, but I've got contractors that work for me. I guess my passion starting when I, when I stopped working was really around accessibility and, awareness and education around accessibility. So I won the, um, or I was awarded the the 2018 um, Accessibility Award for the City of Brantford. Um, I do a lot of speaking engagements around accessibility. And uh, that's really my passion around education and awareness now. So for someone who's interested in um advocacy and is passionate about an issue and is interested in speaking, how did you make the connections that you could um, become a renowned speaker and advocate in your field? I think primarily because my my job, as I said, is as executive director of a national health charity, I had a fairly large network to, uh, to start with. Um, and when I first retired, I got involved in um, the, the Brantford Accessibility Advisory Committee. I was chair of that uh, committee for about five years. So certainly built up a lot of networks. Um, even now, I'm, I'm still very involved uh, with the Grand River Healthy Communities Collaborative. And I sit there um, as the, the person that's putting the accessibility lens uh, in, in that organization um, on uh, health equity and access to equitable health care for persons with disabilities. Um, I, I did spend some time sitting on the uh, Brant County uh, Health Units, or sorry, the Brant County uh, Community Health Systems um, Citizen Engagement Committee, and again, trying to raise awareness of uh, barriers that exist even just within the hospital system for persons with disabilities. So um, I've I've got a, a fairly large network. Part of that came from my professional life, and part of that has come from the last um, eleven years of being the you know kind of the accessibility advocate. I do a lot of speaking engagements around accessibility. So I've I've spoken to several hundred people at the Canadian Condominium Conference. Um, I've been a a regular speaker for probably the last five years at the University of Guelph's Accessibility Conference. Uh, I just did, actually I've done a couple of virtual conferences this past year, but uh, Disability and Work in Canada. Um, I just finished the Rick Hansen's Accelerating Access Conference that actually just happened Thursday and Friday this week. So I, I always like to say that the, the disability community um, is, a, is a fairly s- small community, even though 15% of the population have some form of disability. Um, so advocacy is, um, I like to say, I, I'm proud to be an advocate for persons with disabilities because so many people with disabilities don't have the ability to advocate for themselves. And I'm just tremendously impressed with 
you're running two successful businesses and clearly giving a lot of your personal time to volunteer um, to be an advocate, which I think, again, speaks to obviously your commitment and energy level and ability to um, juggle lots of things and keep going, keep looking for opportunities and keep keep things in the in the air in terms of those balls you're juggling. Yeah. And, and as I said, it is certainly easier from when you're working from home. And I, I used to joke back uh, when I first retired that I gave up the commute down the 403 for the commute down the hall. Right. Um, so that that makes um, a big difference uh, as well, being able to... Uh, Time, energy. Being able to come into my office and, and uh, do, well, for example, a, a podcast or come into my office and jump on zoom and, and, uh, be involved in a, in a conference, you know, those types of things are certainly easier, um, when you do work from home and you have that flexibility and certainly with the pandemic, so many things have now become virtual that, uh, I can be on, you know, three zoom meetings in a day, whereas before being at three meetings in a day, and I'm sure most people listening would you know, would understand. I mean, that required you leaving your office, driving to the meeting location, sitting through the meeting, you know, leaving, going to the next meeting, um, whatever. So certainly the um, pandemic has changed how we look at the ease and ability to be able to connect several, in my case, several times a day with certain different groups where I might not have been able to physically attend those meetings in person. Right. And I mean, that leads me to my next question, because clearly, you are someone who um, can pivot. Um, Take us back to last March. How did the early stages of the pandemic and as we were getting into last spring, how did that impact your two businesses? Uh, Well, from the standpoint of Growlin Apparel Graphics, we were ordered shut down on March 18th of last year until April 26. So, you know, after, uh, because at that point, we were deemed non-essential. So we did have to shut down. Um, Certainly have done a lot of pivoting from the standpoint of grill and apparel graphics, whereas before, our business was a lot of walk in and uh, repeat business. And I've certainly upped the game uh, from the standpoint of, uh, pivoting to working on a new website, uh, social media, um, have uh, implemented a new customer relationship management software. like So stuff like that, that is, um, because it, the pandemic, I will tell you, really put the importance on making sure that you were keeping in touch with your customers. So when we opened back up on April the 26th, um, from the standpoint of our business for Garland Apparel Graphics, the second quarter is our biggest quarter, and we lost um, we lost that that quarter last year. It was so April, May, and June things didn't really rebound, um, and then we certainly lost a lot of it because so many other things were shut down. So we do a lot of sports leagues and teams that didn't play at all last year. Um, a lot of uh, festivals and events, things were just canceled. So, you know, we, we really had to uh, really had to think outside the box in terms of how we could reach out to new and existing customers, especially ones that were still open. Um, And, 
do some recovery that way. So yeah, pivoting was, uh, was certainly the name of the game. And I mean, for us, the pandemic is not, not nearly over. I mean, we still, I don't believe, I don't believe a lot of leagues and uh, organizations are even going to be playing or be uh, operating this summer. Um, and we've already seen some festivals and events that we would have been uh, doing uh, apparel or promotional products for. We've already seen some of those be canceled. So, you know, we're, I say we're holding our own. We did not have to shut down in the second uh, shutdown. Uh, we, we basically had to close our office and showroom to the public, but then we were able to, uh, to still manufacture products out the back and so we had contactless curbside pickup and uh email email and or phone ordering you know that that type of thing so uh so yeah we were able to pivot a little bit like that so the second shutdown did not affect us as as significantly as the first shutdown so let's talk resiliency i mean how did you keep your spirits up, stay positive. And I mean, especially when you are working with your husband and I mean, you're both dependent, I'm assuming on this business. How did you stay positive through this difficult time? I think part of it is just realizing that from a global perspective, there's certainly um, a lot of businesses and industry that are in a lot worse shape than we are. I, I guess I've always had a pretty positive attitude from the standpoint that things could always be a lot worse. And there are a lot of people that are well, are much worse off than us. The other, um, the other thing is, as I said, after 31 years in business, we, you know, we're, we are still able to keep our heads above water. I, I feel really bad for anybody that's been in business for five years or less that just doesn't have that, that same, uh, capital or customer base or whatever built up. I mean, after 31 years, we, we still felt the impact fairly significantly. Um, and then there are other industries that I feel just got decimated and continue to be decimated. Um, so I, I think part of, you know, part of that was just the, realization that this was a global pandemic. So this wasn't centered around our house or, or whatever. Um, I know last spring I myself um, spent 85 days where I didn't leave the house uh, other than to go outside on the deck last spring. You know, I think it's really important to realize that we are all in this together and um, you know, it's like, it's like all other bad times, you know, the, this, this too shall pass, you know, it's very much a global pandemic and we're all experiencing it. So. Right. And I'm, I'm hearing that um, you're able to put things in perspective. So perspective taking is important, resiliency and just trying to stay positive. And again, for you, leveraging the longevity of your business to help you stay positive and stay active in the business was, has been really important for your mindset. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. I want to also touch upon your consulting business. I mean, I'm sure that was impacted and continues to be, you'd mentioned there's a lot of virtual work. How are you managing in that side of your world? Um, I've done I've done some speaking engagements. I will be honest, I have not done an on-site assessment since last August. 
you know, that kind of stuff has, um, has dried up just from the standpoint that, you know, nobody's interacting with anybody, right? So we're certainly not doing um, on-site assessments and contractors are really conscious of where they are in going in to do, uh, to do work. I'm about to undertake a, um, a fairly large project this uh, spring, which hopefully we're not too impacted by the lack of contractors, but it's a, it's a large project that'll, you know, that'll turn a summer residence actually into a fully accessible summer residence. So certainly excited about, uh, about that. And uh, the, again, the lack of accessible housing is, is something I'm also very passionate about. So um, there's been a lot of focus on housing um, in, in and around our area um, affordable housing, but affordable, accessible housing always seems to get a little bit left behind. So I've been doing a, a fair bit of advocacy work around the need to ensure that uh, as we look at the housing crisis, we also look at the the fact that accessible housing is, the demand for accessible housing is only going to increase, not decrease. Right. And it must be so gratifying. I mean, I'm in my head picturing someone who is looking forward to using a summer residence um, in a way that's fully accessible and allows them to enjoy it. It must be so gratifying to see a project like that from start to finish and then also injecting your empathy with that person into the project. It must be so um, lovely for them to work with you because you know um you can guess better maybe than others how they're feeling and the frustrations they've experienced and you know you can help them resolve those. Yeah, so this client um, has has not had access to uh, the the bathroom in their residence partly just because of the doors um, for a couple of years. So we're going to be doing a, taking out walls and putting in 36-inch sliding doors so that they have access to, uh, to being able to use... Um, you know the all of their residents, and as you can imagine, most uh, most cottages and summer residences are not built to be accessible. So this is a this is a large project. We're doing everything from lowering counters to uh, putting in a fully accessible bathroom, um, uh, putting in, as I said, thirty six inch sliding doors. Those are you know those are just a few of the highlights. But uh, you know a roll in shower. Um, lowered counter and vessel sink in the bathroom, you know, all of that kind of stuff that's going to make that uh, residence fully functional for that uh, client. And they're going to be able to enjoy, you know, 100% of their summer home versus uh, uh, now they're, you know, kind of limited to the the, uh, bedroom that they've made fully accessible in the kitchen living room area which is not accessible because they don't have the lower counters and the, and the open areas underneath. So um, it's, I, it's, it's an exciting project. And I'm, I'm even looking at, you know, uh, a YouTube channel so that we can track that kind of, uh, you know, we can track that kind of progress as we do the project. Um, So even from, you know, when we talk about pivoting, you know, I'm looking a little outside the box on some, uh, on some things that we can uh, also introduce for that business as well. 
right? I can just almost visualize the wheel spinning because you're thinking about how you can create awareness. Um, and your advocacy piece is also for public spaces and for people who cannot necessarily afford, uh, you know, a full home modification. You're always looking at ways to make sure people are designing and creating in a way that's mindful. Yes. I always, I always like to say to builders and, uh, uh, developers and, and you know it's it's cheaper to build it in than to bolt it on later and that's oh, uh, yeah. that's sometimes a hard message to get through because a lot of people think of accessibility as an afterthought whereas if things were just built with universal design and they were accessible for everyone from the point that they were built then you know we wouldn't be going back and trying to bolt on accessibility features later and having to do modifications but i think you should trademark that phrase <laughs> <laughs> and i mean you're you're clearly a visionary you're clearly someone who's very passionate about making sure that you're helping these builders these people who are making decisions about spaces aware and i mean clearly you've you've spent the most of your career doing that which is, is is incredible to me that of your commitment so um thank you for that on behalf of people who need it because that to me is um you know obviously I'm, I'm tremendously impressed as we're closing it just how you've managed to keep that so top of mind and heart for you while you're also raising a family and running a successful business. Yes. And I, and I will say my, my two kids are are grown and one has moved out of the house yet and graduated and the other one's graduated uh, with three degrees and is working. And so it, it certainly makes it easier than being a, a young mom. I certainly couldn't have imagined running both of these businesses uh, 15 or 20 years ago, but uh, that being said, 15 or 20 years ago, I was uh, still working full time and uh, basically only doing the financial side of things for Grelin. But uh, so it, it, it works out. I mean, I do what I can when I can. And uh, as I said, there's never any shortage of ideas. I have lists all over my yes. desk, of <laughs> things that we'd like to implement, but both a blessing and a curse to have that ability. I find that myself too. Yes. <laughs> Um, but I love also, I've spoken to a few women in the podcast who've kind of, um, again, we go back to that pivot word, which seems to be used a lot these days, but pivoted and there's no age limit on this stuff. Like we don't have to say, oh, I'll slow down when I'm 50, 60, whatever. It's about thinking about, oh, I have more time in my life to do these things. I'm going to do it. Um, and I think for anybody yes. that's considering starting their own business, my key points are, you know, do your research, make sure there's a market for your business, um, and make sure you've got the the time to commit to building the business. Um, you know, a, a lot of businesses take a little while to get off the ground. And so um, I've, I've seen so many people um, in my 30 some odd years of business that you know, think they have a great idea and expect it's going to turn a profit for them in six months or something. And so, um, but self-employment is not for the faint of heart. And I think that's really important. As you say, you're an idea person and the ability to kind of, um, I think people get, fall in love with their idea and again, think everybody else should. And then that pushing themselves and wanting, feeling disappointed, 
appointment when they don't have success, like you said, within the six months. So I'm hearing you say that patience is really important and being able to select the idea that you're really focused and want to work on to follow it through to success Mm -hmm. and being, and being committed and being committed to the idea and realizing that, yeah, it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to be rolling in dough in six months. Right. Right. And we certainly would say, and I guess you can comment on this too, asking for help and support. I mean, ladies who lead is a perfect example of a way that women can network and um, connect, but um, I'm sensing for you as someone who um, has been doing this for a long time and has a lot of maturity and wisdom, um, giving back to younger people who are taking those risks, it sounds like that's important to you as well. Yes, yes, for mm-hmm. sure. Well, I very much appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Um, I've learned a lot and I have such uh, gratitude to you for committing your life to not only, again, like most of us as women do, family and our business, but also to projects you're very clearly passionate about. And it doesn't sound like you're planning on slowing down with those anytime soon. Um, So I wish you the best of luck as you're weathering the pandemic like the rest of us through uh, your two businesses. But I um, hope that, well, I don't hope, I know you're going to end up on top with, with your project. So best of luck to you as you do that. Thanks, Allison. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. More information on our guest today in the show notes of this episode. Ladies Who Lead is a network of dynamic professional women who believe that by building business, building self, building relationships, and building community, we can lift each other up to achieve our goals. Ladies Who Lead is based in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. For more information and a link to apply, head to ladieswholead.ca. Okay, cool.